welcome to the Fracture Line, the official weekly news feed from the Chest Wall Injury Society, where we will listen to all the bottom line CWIS updates, shoutouts, fun facts, and weekly banner. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Crisco, and I'm joined always by Dr. Tom White, Dr. Adam Kay, and Sarah Ann Whitbeck. Welcome back to Fracture Line, everybody. I'm really excited to have on a Dr. Duncan Sutherland. Dr. Sutherland, thanks for joining us today. Before we get started, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, your, your medical background, your background now. Okay, well, I went to the University of Colorado for undergraduate and then the University of Colorado in Denver for uh, medical school. <clears throat> Took a general surgical residency in Minneapolis at the City County Hospital. And uh, two years in the Air Force, I was draft, drafted during Vietnam. That was the largest doctor's draft in history. They thought we were going into China and they wanted every doctor they could get. And then after I got out of the Air Force, I went uh, to Parkland in Dallas and took a two-year residency in chest surgery. And that involved uh, Parkland, VA, uh, Baylor, and Children's. So we rotate among all those hospitals twice, and then you're done. And that's a good experience. The Knife and Gun Club is very active at Par- Parkland. And then I uh, went into private practice in Amarillo, Texas. Practiced there for 30 years, then I quit practice and moved to New Mexico to Alto, which is right next to Rio. So I've always loved flying. <clears throat> My dad taught me to fly when I was just a little kid. I was fortunate enough to run into a guy named Doug Poli, and he built a real nice custom-built air racing plane for me called an SX-300. So I started doing air races out in Reno, Nevada at the National Air Races. There's a picture that Tom has of... That's incredible. (laughs) It's a going machine. Then I had kids and grandkids, and everybody was in the Dallas area, so I moved. I finally stopped that and moved back to the Dallas area. I've written a couple books just for fun, medical thrillers. Yeah, that's that's and, what we wanna uh, we wanna talk about a couple of those. I, I'm really interested. So I, I have I must be honest. I, I haven't read them, but Tom has been bragging about them. Uh, let's see. The first one is entitled "Other Side of the Knife," and then the second book you've written, "The Surgeon and the Arrow." All right, let's talk about these books. "Other Side of the Knife." What's the gist here? What's the, and what's the motivation for writing it's this? About a, it's about a chest surgeon in Amarillo that uh, gets involved. First of all, he has some interesting experiences that chest surgeons have, like valve replacement on an emergency basis. And, and uh, he rubs some people the wrong way, which most surgeons do. That's just in our nature. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and then he ends up going to India where they're doing illegal heart transplants and gets that figured out and eventually gets that all stopped. The other book, The Surgeon and the Arrows, since we moved back to Dallas, I started shooting my bow again. And I shoot my compound bow about uh, 50 times a day in the backyard of a little ring. So this is about a female chest surgeon, pediatric chest surgeon in San Antonio. And she operates on a little baby that dies post-op. And uh, nobody can figure out what happened to her except parents are really upset. The the dad more than the wife and as it turns out uh surgeon gets blamed for the death and the dad tries to kill her and she tries to escape and ends up uh getting dropped and kidnapped and dropped in the wilderness by sedona and has about two weeks through the wilderness trying to survive and so you you every step of the way she has and she runs into rattlesnakes and 
bears and, and managed to, is to survive each bugs and caterpillars and everything she can get a hold of. And finally gets back and she eventually works around to finding the guys that set it all up and, and it, it wasn't him. She figured, she finally convinces him that he, she didn't do anything wrong, but who did? And that's, that's the end of the story. It's a captivating read. I read it in one sitting. It's fantastic. Really loved it. So the connection here is that Duncan is my cousin and my surgical mentor. When I was in medical school and just before medical school, Duncan was an extremely busy, magnificently skilled heart surgeon in Amarillo, Texas. And this was in the, I don't, I'm not going to tell you how far, how, how long ago this was. It'll embarrass both of us. But, but he was, he, he was a heart surgeon when heart surgery was just about the coolest thing on the planet. These guys were the gods, you know, men were men and giants walked the earth. And well, here's just an anecdote and he'll, Duncan will deny it, but it's absolutely true. His parking place was the front door. So this giant hospital with a thousand beds and 400 on the medical staff. And we pulled up and left in the morning and parked directly in front on the street in front of the front door. And he did that every day. I was there for several summers in a row and no one ever, never got a ticket, never got towed. Car was always there when we walked back out again. I mean, these guys were just, they were true gods, but they, they pioneered heart surgery. They, they imagine what that was like in those days when you, you know, taking somebody and stopping their heart and putting it through a machine and then re, you know, reinvigorating them and reanimating these patients was, I, I just thought it was a, a miraculous thing to watch. And I thought I wanted to be a heart surgeon for quite some time, but then I realized I just didn't have the muster for that. So anyway, my, my mentor, my, my true role model. So Duncan, thank you for all that. But I want to, I want to hear a little bit about what rib surgery was like back in the eighties and nineties. If you can, if somebody came in with a mangled chest, you know, a stoved in chest with massive flail, what did you guys do in the eighties and nineties? Well, of course we didn't have the knowledge and expertise and instrumentation that you guys have now, but if there was a fractures of the ribs, we'd just take a couple sutures and, and hold the ribs together and tie the sutures. And if the rib was broken and sticking into the lung, we'd just resect that part of the rib and throw it away. And most of those people had other injuries, head injuries or multiple fractures anyway. And so the rib injury was really secondary and they were usually be on the respirator and by the time they got their other injuries and we got them off the respirator, it really had self-healed as much as it would. And, that, and we're never the expertise that you guys are now, never. Yeah, I'm guessing those patients languished for quite some time and probably never really got back to full function ultimately. So I think that's one of the, that's one of the key advancements is we're keeping these people off the ventilator, avoiding tracheostomy and getting them back to a more normal life, which is really uh, profoundly gratifying. Exactly, yeah. Now, Dr. Sutherland, I have a question. You don't have the Texas accent, but I happen to know your, your son, Bill, and he's got a full Texas accent. So what, what happened here? Well, Billy had the good fortune of being, in Minot, being born in Minot, North Dakota, at the Air Force Base there when, when uh, we were in the Air Force. That was uh, quite an experience. I was chief of surgery at the Air Force Hospital, and the Air Force Hospital was a magnificent, beautiful hospital built on the edge of Minot and the air base was 15 miles north of town. But it was originally built as a VA hospital, but the VA couldn't get anybody to go there, so they sold it to the Air Force, and the Air Force didn't have any trouble staffing it. But we lived on the hospital grounds on the edge of Minot, so we did all our shopping and everything in Minot. We belonged to the Minot Country Club and played golf there, and, 
and it was a great, great uh, experience. And Billy was born there. Actually, I was out flying my Cher Piper Cherokee uh, 180 when uh, my wife the delivery room. And they called me on the radio, so I said, oh, I'll be right there. Of course, I had to come around and land and, and uh, <laughs> ran to the hospital. But by that time, Billy was already born. <laughs> These things but just don't happen anymore. I love it. No. Right. no. That was a great experience in the Air Force, though. I, I really enjoyed it for the first time. Well, I was a captain in the Air Force, and I went from being chief of the general surgery resident, making nothing, to being a captain in the Air Force, getting paid all this money, and nowhere to spend it in mine. I, I, I didn't know what to do with it all. <laughs> <laughs> How many airplanes have you owned, Duncan? Oh, my goodness. I tried to figure that out, but I probably ordered own maybe half a dozen but i've probably flown 15 or 20 different types how many how many times has this plane gone down well i don't ever remember crashing anything no but you you flew into a thunderstorm and ruined one airplane i remember that story <laughs> well billy was with me he can tell you more about it than i can but yeah yeah and the ha what happened was the hail got the plane and it really did end it up pretty bad. Fortunately, it didn't break the windshield, and we all stayed together in the cockpit. And we got back and landed, and the plane was so full of hail, dense that actually there were uh, holes in the props, and holes in the spinners, and holes in all the leading edges, and and uh, the insurance company uh, took the plane. Wow, That's amazing! I uh, I probably have a thousand questions for you because you've just you seem like you've done it all. I mean, Air Force cardiac surgery in the heyday of real surgery and explore. I mean, you explored everything. So you, I'm curious about your books and the impetus of the books. And is it is it because of things you've seen along the way in the operating room and medical career? Or what, what, what was the motivation there? Well, I've always liked to write and I've written probably 20 some uh, professional papers, but I thought it would be fun to write a medical thriller with chest surgeons as the protagonist. And, uh, and most of the, most, not all, of course, the events taking place in the books or experiences that I've had or people I know I've had. So it's kind of fun to put that down in story form. I've got another book right now, <clears throat> waiting for an editor, and it's about the current problem in the world on trafficking. And the name of the book is Trafficking the Silent Pandemic. And uh, it's, I think it'll really be a, it's a good book. I've read it and reread it and modified it, but that that has to get published. Then I'm currently have another book in my head that I've just started, and uh, that's going to be called Heart to Heart, and it's going to be more romantic. I like it. Now your first two were novels. Is this trafficking book a novel as well, or is it? It more? is. It is. Uh, it's a novel oh, about okay. about a girl that gets trafficked when she's eight years old. She's from the Philippines, which you, if you didn't know, is the hothead of trafficking. The Philippines and Mexico are where a lot of the trafficking girls come from. And uh, she gets trafficked into India and she gets beat up pretty bad and attacked by a tiger and, and eventually gets sold to a Japanese guy and then she gets sold to another guy, brings her to the United States and she's sold again and grows up, finally rebels and tries to go on her own. That doesn't work out so good, so the guy beats her up pretty bad, and she has to go to the hospital, and the chest, her, he beats her with a baseball bat and hits the caves in her chest. So 
I, thanks to you guys, she goes to the hospital and gets her chest repaired. Maybe you'll put a, a chest ball injury go. society surgeon went to the bedside. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh. It happened to be a collaborative center. Yeah. You know, some, some drop in. But eventually, she has other uh, great adventures in the trafficking world. Yes. Well, that's that's addressing truly a, a very prescient topic. Thank you. That's. That's very interesting. And, and if you do want to work in, you know, that the, the surgeon was wearing a C-West pin, we won't, we, you know, we won't go that. That's fine. <laughs> Sarah, I love it. So, Duncan, uh, let me ask one more question. Put on your uh, crystal ball hat or whatever your, your uh, magician hat and peer into the future 10 or 15 years. We, you've seen how far we've come with the technology uh, to repair the chest wall. What, what do you think it's going to be like a decade from now? Are we going to be doing it, you know, with augmented reality, are we going to have disposable equipment that, that goes away, or, or you know, what 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 do you think's going to? Where's this going to evolve to? Do you think? Kind of putting you on the spot. The most important thing is for your abilities and procedures to be integrated into all the chest surgery residencies, because I think I don't know for sure, but I think that you you guys are yet to be mentioned in the chest surgery residencies. Maybe you are. But your abilities and your techniques have to be worldwide, and I think that will come. Hey, Dr. Sutherland, that, this is a true pleasure to meet you. It, it, and thank you so well, much for, you. for joining us. Uh, we're going to move on to some quick updates, and then we'll finish with the final stitch. Sarah, what do you got for us? Well, there also was a call on Slack last week. We were talking about cases of centurions and or you know nearly to that uh, point people that had done performed SSRF on patients of that age group um, so if you have a patient who's in the 90 to 100 plus age range please let me know we're trying to put a case review together that's just specifically for uh, patients within that that realm if you're interested in sharing that would be terrific we are uh, putting together the agenda we're starting to look at agenda items and how that all comes together in terms of 2023 summit i know it feels really early so if you uh, you should have received the evaluation for the 2022 summit um, which also was your opportunity to claim your cme credit but but more specifically, please make sure that you're including your topics because um, the program committee is starting to meet and um, and or if you already submitted yours and you think of another topic, you, you know, you can send it my way or Dr. White or anyone else um, on the program committee. There, there's a whole gaggle of us. You can just throw it out there on Slack or send an email um, and we'd be happy to um, include that in our discussions. All right. Time for the final stitch. I'll go first. My mind today is on mentorship. You know, I've, I've been blessed with fantastic mentors and we're with one today and I just it reminds me that it sneaks up on you as before you know it you you're you're a mentor for someone else or you will be soon and uh, those opportunities are I'm going to say they're quite rare and they're valuable and you should uh, make the most of them so um, that's 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 my final stitch for the day and Duncan thank you so much for being here you're welcome this has been a pleasure Sarah Ann any shout outs you bet my my mind is just on summertime. It's finally getting warm here, and I'm very happy about that. And you know, kiddos are all out of school, and I'm very happy about that. And you know, pools open. Like it's just things are starting to to come together with feeling just a little bit more like there's just a little bit more lightheartedness going on. And 
And I think the world can always use a little bit more of that. So, Dr. Sutherland, do you have uh, do you have anything on your mind? Any any shout outs you'd like to give? I'd like to t- tell you about my kitty if you have time. It's not anything Absolutely. to do with chest surgery. I was driving down the street and the car ahead of me on the left, uh, some black thing came rolling out from the front of that car into the curb. I went around and stopped and went around and picked it up and it was a little six-week-year-old black kitty. Back legs are paralyzed, so I picked it up and and, uh, took it to the emergency room. It was getting night time, so we had to wait, and finally they got in and x-rayed it. Well, one back leg had a fractured tibia fibula, and the other back leg had a fractured dislocation of the head of the femur. They made an appointment for two days later with a veterinary orthopedic surgeon, which I didn't even know existed. And so I took Kitty there, and she operated on, put a plate on the tibia, resected the head of the femur, and uh, then I got to have the kitty, and we've kept her. And she's grown up in our house, and she's wonderful, and she is not limited. She runs, jumps, climbs. Is that her in the back right now? Is that her in the background right behind you? Yeah, it is. (laughs) She she sure does climb. Look at that. Yeah. She was up there climbing, (laughs) running all around. She's shown us just how she climbs. That's fantastic. Her official name is Lucky. Even in in retirement, the man's still saving lives. That's awesome. (laughs) 